Cerro is not looking to become the world's biggest hauler of compostable materials, right? Look at what we're doing. We're, I mean, we're making a living, barely. We're getting somebody to pay us to pick up their material, and then we're paying to export it to the guy who turns it into composted soil products that we buy back from him. So now we've paid him twice. We're, we're, we're exporting it to him. Yeah. He's, he's val adding value to it, and then we're buying it back. I want all that to be us. Not necessarily settle, but uh, I want this to be a, a more local infrastructure. Yeah. I want us to be able to aim for vertical integration so that Seto Co-op, you know, picks up the material and we process it ourselves. to another episode of the Moonlighters Club. I am here with Lore. Thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, of course. We're, uh, we're in Boston. This is the most like Massachusetts interview so far. Um, we're doing this with the Boston Ujima Project. So th thank you to the Boston Ujima Project, for, first of all, for existing, and then second of all, for setting these interviews up. They've all been great. And uh, we're doing this one in Boston. Part of Boston, marathon finish lines like right over here. Right. We're in the library and in the innovation lab. We're, you know, we're doing it. Um, you're coming from Revere, coming from JP. We're like covering everything. That's right. Yeah. So we're on the train circuit. Just exactly. Crossing paths. When I was a kid, I used to uh, get mad when, like, cause I would go to camps in like Maine or just like random areas. And people go, oh, I'm from Boston. I'm like, oh, wait, what part? And they're like, oh, Marblehead or Worcester or Chelsea. Right, 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 right. So that don't count. <laughs> <laughs> so I see what I'm saying. But then the older I get, the more I realize it's not just Boston. Like the most Boston-sounding people I met are like on the South Shore. <laughs> like they're not even. The accent is definitely, well, you know, yeah. the Kennedys were hyannis. Right? Exactly. It's all over the place. So it's really this whole contingent. So who are you representing today? I am representing Seto Cooperative. Nice. I call it Cerro Cooperative because I can't do my R's at all. But what do you all do? Cerro Co-op was uh, started in Roxbury nice. by black and brown immigrant entrepreneurs nice. who, uh, you know, wanted a piece of, of green collar jobs, which they thought could be possible and didn't see anybody else generating. And it certainly wasn't happening in their community, no. which has been an environmental justice community for as long as there's been words to say environmental justice. Um, and out of that grew this uh, business geared around helping universities and restaurants and grocery stores uh, make the most of their food waste. You know, food waste is a huge problem environmentally. If you throw it in the landfill, the methane is one of the most green toxic greenhouse gases. There's a lot of reasons we don't want food waste. Yeah. And while we should do everything we can to reduce that waste, there's always going to be the onion skins and the residuals. 
What most people don't know is that this so-called waste is also a valuable resource. So, you know, first what you try to do is feed people with it. If it's if it's not going to be edible for people, you try and feed animals with it. Yep. If you can't feed animals with it, you should re-earth it. You should should make sure that it is appropriately separated out from bad things in the trash and converted into beautiful compost. You know, composted soil actually could save the planet in many ways. Probably a lot of people say that, but for real, like we could replenish so much soil on the earth, sequester so much carbon. I could go on and on. There's so many. We could. That's what we do. We're both going to go in on this because there's so many things. I'm super green now. Um, When I was younger and you remember what this area was like, Boston was pretty dirty. And I used to litter when I was a teenager, probably because I was a jerk. And then you just like the earth, Captain Planet, it'll be here forever. The earth, it's an ashtray. What? Yeah. And uh, now I am so like, I get really angry. When, Do you put a banana peel in your pocket you know, until I, you I get to a place? Stuff where... up. I, if I'm with people who throw stuff on the ground, I pick it up, put it in my pockets. I hate it. And I'm super conscious about earth. Like, you just, like, yeah, I get it. You know, there, it's some of these things take time. And it's, it's not calamity, but it's like, I, I love, I used to want to do zoology, so I love animals. So, like, I'm always checking to see what's endangered and what's not. But another big one is waste. So, when I think, I think about composting all the time. Mm-hmm. Because I'm always looking at, the day I learned that recycle bins and trash didn't work the way I thought they did, I'm like, all right, we got to do something. Like, when someone's like, no, I just throw that away. It's not done right. I'm like, what? And then I'm learning where all this stuff is going. Yeah. That there's plastic in the air, that there's these giant mountains of garbage and islands of garbage. So I think about ways to to like what what's being done. Have you like trying to ban yourself from plastics? I need to. I I was bad. I need two things. I need a seltzer water maker in my house because I drink seltzer water. That's just I'm classy like that. I like the bubbles. Uh, well, if you can't tell you get the seltzer maker, you can do aluminum cans because at least they're okay. highly recyclable. I do cans. Way better than plastic. The plastic I'm going to have to not do anymore is water. Like, no water bottles. You know, I was here looking for water. I was like, damn, I didn't bring my bottle. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not allowed to buy water bottles. Yeah. Just because of my personal code. So, yeah, I we, we're going to get into this. We can I can talk about this all the time. So... How did you, like, did you, in terms of, like, day-to-day work, were you always in, the in like, big on the environment? Like, is compost something that's, like, stuff that you're like, no, I always talk about stuff like this. So, like, working with I have not. This is the first time I've been employed in the area of environmental stuff. Okay. I've been in and out, dipping in and out of activism. But back in my day when I, when I was younger... Uh, I was active in the anti-nuke stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I had a big problem with the environmental movement not overlapping with the racial justice movement. Yeah. And I've always been, you know, more in, the, in, in challenging white supremacy systems and making sure that that's where I was putting my energy. So that didn't match with environmental stuff. That's changed. It's changed a lot. We have great organizations here in Boston now that are BIPOC-led, not only Cerro, but, um, you know, like ACE. Yeah. Are you familiar yeah. with ACE? They've done so much around around environmental justice issues, everything from monitoring for asthma in their neighborhoods. 
you know, how how much are all these diesel buses making yep. our kids sick and all that kind of stuff. So so now it really fits. Yeah. I, w- I lucked into this because I applied for a job nice. when the founders were looking for a startup manager. Yeah. That's how I got on this train. Isn't it wild that Richard Nixon started the EPA? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, he didn't start it, but you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't have remembered that the, even. The, like, I, like, there's little nuggets I learned about the environment. I'm like, it was him? Well, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was him. Like, I'm like, what? Like, especially that time. I'm like, bro, they were... It's like gas shortages. <laughs> there, there must be a podcast about that somewhere. Yeah, we like, can find out what the real deal was. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, random question. We've had a few uh, uh, interviews with other uh, associates of the Ujima Project. And there is an issue with food, where food comes from, the type of food in certain communities. You think food deserts are intentional? It's just like everything's intentional. It's crazy. So. Just like everything is. You know, and things lead to the back, same structural issues, you know, back and back and back and back. That's why it gives me hope to be with something like Ujima and the ecosystem that Ujima is creating. You know, proud that Seto Co-op is part of the Ujima portfolio. Um, And proud for, you know, that I've been able to be involved in helping Ujima get going from the beginning of it. And just like, they're actually putting together participatory economy. They're actually, you know, achieving a democratic economy, demonstrating that it's possible. Yeah. And likewise, Seto Co-op exists in a lot of ways to demonstrate that it's possible that grassroots, working class people who are fighting their own oppression can create jobs with worker ownership, doing things that make our communities more sustainable that's like where it's at. Like to being able to be part of that, as small as we are, sometimes it's hard to feel our impact. But when you back off and see yeah. where we were 10 years ago, there wasn't a Seto Co-op working yet. We were, we were in the process 10 years ago, but we started our operations in 2014. Yeah, uh, a good point you hit on. I feel like there's, there's two things that are really big now. We're going to talk about the environment throughout this interview, but also workers' rights. Like, I still can't believe we're doing this. Uh, there's, uh, outside of the stuff you hear about the Kellogg, and, <laughs> and the fact that people are like, we got to boycott Kellogg, and I'm like, I just, I just can't eat cereal, because they own right. everything. Right, um, and probably a lot more than the cereal. We just yeah. don't know it, right? There's uh, uh, an Instagram page I follow called Working Class History, and it's about everything from famous strikes, walkouts, sit-ins, boycotts across the world. It's probably one of the most graphic, brutal things, mm-hmm. like, what's been done to workers. Yeah. Um, outside of Cero, have you, what has your experience been like in terms of having a say in a workplace? Because for me, I just got to a company, like 38 in the workforce since I was a teenager. I just got to a company where I feel great. Everyone's valued. It's like not top-down management. It's really open. This is the first uh-huh. So outside of that, what's your experience been in those spaces? Oh, wow. So kind of different. You, When you hear my story, you'll understand that I have never had an intentional plan. Nice. Let's hear it. <laughs> um, you, you know, when I first came up to Boston, I dropped out of school and came to Boston. I was looking for a job. And I heard about this job that was a union job. I was 19. Okay. And this job paid twelve fifty an hour. That was like... A lot of money. Yeah. This is the late 1970s. And um, so I got a job as a school bus driver. Okay. 
So that was also happened to be the best education I could ever get. I could go on a tangent about how great it was to be a school bus driver in Boston in the 70s and have this amazing experience in desegregation forced busing. Was that you would all about it. We used to go to schools with, you know, police escort convoys. But the the connection with the labor movement was that we were the first school bus drivers that were union organized in the country, I believe. Wow. And we were steel workers. Okay, wow. We got organized by the, the, or the steel workers, you know, became our union. And it was very exciting. I think we went on strike like every other year or something. It was quite, um, it was quite radical. And it was a great, you know, I was, I was young at that time, 19, 20, 21 years old. I was there for nine years. And um, that was a workforce that fought for a lot. But, of course, we didn't win all the time. Yeah. You know, we were, we were certainly challenging power and trying to figure it out and organizing. It was interesting. It was a very diverse workplace. We certainly didn't win control of the companies by any means, but we fought for ourselves. Yeah. And we stuck together, and that was really interesting. And then I, uh, I worked... I worked as an independent contractor for a while, and then I went over to the nonprofit industrial complex, and I worked in a collective, okay. an utterly, a, a very good organization that I won't name drop about because the next thing I'm going to say isn't that shiny, <laughs> which is that it was pretty dysfunctional and challenging and hard to work in. But I learned a lot. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I had another job in, in nonprofit where we tried to, where we had a... We had an official hierarchy, but tried to have more of a, maybe like where you work now, to yeah, sort of have yeah. a more horizontal, everybody's input is valued. You know, we felt that we needed certain structures for teams and supervision and stuff like that because of the accountability. We wanted to build in co- accountability. So now it gets kind of boring. But then <clears throat> when I had an opportunity to come over to settle and be part of the whole group learning how to be a worker-owned cooperative, going through that process, you know, with all these, it was about 12 people in the beginning, um, and we got support to go through a a process of co-op education and learning how to own a business together. We came from such different backgrounds, and it was a beautiful thing, putting together our documents of incorporation, making decisions about our bylaws, you know, putting together our employee policies, and all those things we continue to work on to this day as we also continue to bring new members, new worker owners into the business. Nice. So what is that what how does that affect like day to day being worker worker owned? Like what is it like a voting system in terms of things? How do you do it? Yeah, how do you make decisions? It's hard because we're still very small and we experience uh, our operational model is challenging because we have some people who work from Four in the morning until two o'clock in the afternoon. No. Some people who work from like two to seven. And then other people who work like a lot of the time I'm working remotely or running around, um, doing meetings and more of the external stuff. So it's very hard to get everyone together. So we have a time once a week where we get together for co-op education and spend a couple, couple of hours together on Wednesdays with the whole group, having lunch together and acclimating the newer people and all that kind of stuff. And then the rest of the time we have something that could happen in a lot of workplaces, which is we have multiple meetings so that teams can get things done, project groups can get things done, stuff like that. So what is the work of composting? You have a business. What what exactly? Well. Yeah, what do you do? 
So we've got to get customers. So our team, you know, studies the, the market for composting. You know, we were, we were inspired to get into this market because we saw opportunity when the state announced a mandate that generators of a certain amount, it was one ton or more of food waste a week, were going to be required to separate and compost that material. Yeah. So we built our, our brand around being good at helping Businesses and institutions become good at composting. So we train people, we've set up systems, we provide the equipment for how do you separate that material, keep it clean. Source separation is the key. Mm -hmm. So we know how to make it work. So we we do an assessment to see what level of service they need. We go in and we train, whether it's the back of the house food prep staff. A lot of times we're working with folks in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we're working with folks in facilities, in larger buildings and places like that. Um, and then our the core of our service is we operate a, a fleet of trucks, uh, large and small, that are custom built to handle this organic material. And we provide the pickup services. We clean out all the equipment and we collect that material, make sure everything's going good. And we truck it from Boston to a couple of different farms, you know, uh, 20 to 30 miles away. Okay. One of those farms, uh, we tip the truck and leave the, the beautifully source-separated pre-consumer compost where it's eaten by cows and pigs at a farm. So that's called highest and best use for that material, right? That's material that before we were there was going in the trash. Um, the other place that we, the other farm that we take the material to is a composting facility. And I don't assume that people know about windrow composting. These are large farm based um, facilities where they have plows and backhoes and trucks and all kinds of equipment and land where they combine leaves and yard waste. And, you know, those are compostable materials as well with the food scraps, which our composting partner calls the secret sauce that adds nutritional value to all that other, what you call brown and green waste, whether it's, you know, grass or we have a couple of um, customers who are landscapers. Mm. So when they go to do an installation, they take out the old grass and this and that, or when they put a farm away for the, for the winter time, there's a, there's material there that is better composted than, put in the trash. And in the city, people have to make it go somewhere. Um, for the most part, people are not doing their own on-site composting. Yeah. Um, so that's our model. We work with the larger customers who who um, want to sort of separate that and have it re-earthed. And we also, often in the growing season, will, after we tip at the, at the uh, composting facility, we'll pick up this beautiful, rich composted soil products and bring it back to the city to support urban farming. Nice. Food loop. Closed loop. And jobs created all along the way, yeah. we got to say. It's economic development, too. It's like what the Lion King was about. I That's would, right. If I was a salesperson, I'd be like, I'd rock it. I'd just be like, look, if you don't do this, you're, you're killing all of us. Well, come on and, <laughs> come on and work with us. We're hiring. You're we us. are hiring, by the way. Nice. Truck drivers. How big is the team? The team... Should be nine or ten, and right now we're at seven. So we need some people. We need somebody to help us with customer success. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, and truck drivers. And we're looking for a bookkeeper. There you go. Any WMBE bookkeepers out there? Find me. All right. <laughs> I, I like that. So, yeah, the little girl could be good. And then is this cycle a daily thing, like a weekly thing? You know, we have customers that we serve seven days a week. Wow. Customers that we serve, you know, once every other week. It really varies. Who? We're doing, we're, we're, we're working with about 85 customers, 80 to 85, I lost track. Um, and we're harvesting 100 tons of material a week. Wow. It's a lot. Who are, do you have common customers? Like I said, we have many colleges and universities. That's the first time I was, I was assuming school would probably Northeastern, be, yeah. Babson, LaSalle, Boston University. Um, we work with uh, several grocery stores, yeah. Wegmans, yeah, America's Food Basket, yeah. AFB in uh, Geneva, yeah. in Fields Corner, yeah. was our first customer. Wow, nice, nice. And I think our second customer was Commonwealth Kitchen. Shout out to Commonwealth Kitchen. Nice. Beautiful Food Loop Innovation Center. Um, Boston Public Market. Oh, okay. Um, Is that the one over So it's, it's varied. And then we have the B Corps, so the... The bigger, fancy yeah. corporations that, that don't necessarily generate a lot of food waste, but they want to check it off the box that they're composting. So we work with WeWork, Amazon, Facebook, nice. and then we have hospitals. Yeah. So any place that people eat, that's where we're working. Senior, sen- senior uh, residences is a good customer for us. Yeah. They're doing cafeteria food. They're, they're generating a lot of food waste. Carney uh, Hospital... I could go on and on. You have a lot of clients. We that's, have a lot of clients. Yeah, you do need, yeah, you, you all need to apply like now. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> a lot. The school and is, we're in growth mode. Yeah, yeah. Who handles the training of teaching? Like this is how you throw stuff away. I, it's a team approach. Yeah. Um, it's generally, you know, handled initially by our sales team. Yeah. Who are out there doing the assessments, getting to know the customers. Um, but the drivers participated. Everybody, you know, that's the thing about worker ownership. Right when you feel like you're doing your job, even though they work so so hard, it's physical work, it's hard work. Yeah. They also feel a sense of ownership. They feel bought in. They want to help. And same thing with the, you know our customers who we train in the kitchens. They feel really bought into it. Oh, okay. There's you know people should feel proud about doing this stuff. It's not that much extra work. It's just about once you get that system set up, it only makes sense to do it like that. Is there? And our customers save money, right? They save money on their trash so they can afford to pay us. Is there a, a struggle to get where I'm coming from with this is cl- some people don't believe in climate anything. So do you find it when you, is there a pushback to just the general acceptance of this is a thing when you're, you know, are, are you seeing a change? I don't think we put a lot of energy into customers that don't want to do it, okay. into gaining them. You know, I mean, I think we leave that to the policymakers. You know, the Department of Environmental Protection are the ones who ought to be enforcing the requirements in order to reduce waste, right? And there's this requirement that people separate it. And so, you know, I know that their resources are limited. There's not a lot of enforcement yet on, on this front. But, you know, more people are coming in the door than we are chasing. Good, good. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. How, 
has working here changed your view or has it affected the way you see things environmentally or like is it because you know i've worked at companies where i'm like oh my god you know like i work a lot of retail and now i know retail's awful and <laughs> i've been on the other end of black friday so i don't go in terms of being here has it i mean you seem like you've already been in the loop in terms of like you know i've learned so much you know during this decade with Soto. I, I i feel like yeah, I've always, if I was asked, I would call myself an environmentalist yeah. or an environmental justice warrior or whatever that would be. But I'd never had the depth of knowledge in a particular area the way I do now. You know, I always knew air pollution was bad and I yeah. should try and get an electric car when I can. Of course, I'm not getting out of the car altogether because uh, <laughs> I'm not that good. <laughs> but um, so I'm far from perfect on the environmental stuff. But I'm learning a lot, and I'm learning a lot about greenwashing. I'm learning about how much fake so-called environmental action is happening out there. Mm. This industry is notorious. The trash industry is notorious, right? And um, turning that ship into one that's greener is not going to happen by itself. I mean, I think that like the business model that SETO is doing and some of the other smaller companies that are doing residential composting, but by and large, the competition on the larger contracts uh, are deploying solutions that are much less green, that are mm. not the right way. Mm. What are you going to do? Somebody's going to get mad at me for whatever I said when they listen to this, but um, that's all right. That's all right. You know, for us... What we instead of focusing on that stuff so much, although we do try to make our way to the tables where they're doing policy work, because we think that that those are the things that are going to help. Yeah. So I, I spend a fair amount of time, you know, testifying at hearings and, uh, you know, talking to people about zero waste and yeah. the role of composting and all of that. Um, but so I think done that, that before. oh well, yeah, wow, we do that a lot. Oh. Sometimes it gains us customers. I mean, that, that that's not the primary motivation, but we're actually trying to build an infrastructure that's greener rather than trying to deal with people retrofitting a trash infrastructure yeah. and calling it composting or doing the right thing. Mm. So it's, it's, it's very difficult, I won't lie, to, to try and make that infrastructure happen on the scale that we're at. And scaling it up, as you know, gets into economic and environmental justice issues and, you know, more capital to the settles of the world. That's, uh, I, uh, that's where I feel defeated is policy. Um, I mean, I grew up in Boston, this area. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's pretty much, there's like one guy who was mayor for a thousand years everybody loved. And it's pretty like, well, this is just the way things are. And then being in D.C. now and just being older and reading the news and seeing it, you're like, okay, now I just kind of understand how these things work and mm -hmm. how things can push ahead. And it feels like it, 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 it is a it that whole thing is a grind in itself. The convincing, the the the, the communicating, you know. So, but it's so necessary. Yeah. The, the, the more, I you know when I, I used to be the whole ah oh, just burn it all down it sucks I hate voting whatever right. And you realize look if I don't have not if I don't have anything that can replace what we currently have it's just going to be a bunch of fires that's it like so. We have to, I have to attempt to work within this to see if any of these things work. And now you, you are seeing incremental things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The mayoral race in Boston, like you just have, right. you know, just 
different looking at a flight and seeing carbon emissions like 38 that was not a thing you didn't know that planes hurt earth like they didn't talk about it. we just got them yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah faster exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh what's in the food and things about mm-hmm. that and then to your point um no learning about what companies are actually doing the ones that they're telling you they're doing the right thing right which is a whole another thing so no it all it all it's all needed you know we do need to have it at every asset every vertical you know it is a kind of it's a month this is the whole thing is a bear yeah it, it's a lot yeah so for sarah what's the what's the are you yeah w- what is the right way to grow is it more policy going through and people saying more people need to do this now and then i'll know where you get a bunch of clients or is it these companies that do care just being more i don't want to say aggressive but more strategic about growth, you know, going, hey, I'm trying to change the world here. Mm-hmm. Let's get after it every single day. We need eight more people, 20 more people, 30 more people, 40 more people. Do they work hand in hand or is it kind of... You got the big questions, huh? I'm just yeah, <laughs> trying. Uh, you know, I think it's, I think it's, you do what you can do. Yeah. So, you know, the reason for me why it's important to be speaking to policymakers when I get the opportunity to do that is because, listen, at the bottom line, we want to help direct resources to the right places. Yeah. Um, and, and the key to growth, honestly, I'm a practitioner, and I'm a big believer in decentralized network systems, if there's a shorthand for saying what I think we can do. Yeah. I, think we can, I think we can establish successful circular economies in neighborhoods, yeah. and then you know regionally, and then having, having those kind of connected strategy. So I'll give you an example of that that would indicate growth for me. Um, Seto is not looking to become the world's biggest hauler of compostable materials, right? Look at what we're doing. We're, I mean, we're making a living, barely. We're getting somebody to pay us to pick up their material, and then we're paying to export it to the guy who turns it into composted soil products that we buy back from him. So now we've paid him twice. We're, we're exporting it to him. Yeah. He's he's val- adding value to it, and then we're buying it back. I want all that to be us. Not necessarily Seto, but uh, I want this to be a, a more local infrastructure. Yeah. I want us to be able to aim for vertical integration so that Seto Co-op, you know, picks up the material and we process it ourselves. The urban solution for that is not windrow composting. That requires a lot of land. Um, when we're going to be doing that, we're probably going to be driving distances to do it. Maybe we will in Brockton or who knows where, maybe get into windrow composting. But on the urban scale, you can create in-vessel closed container systems for processing food waste where we recover that gas locally on a half an acre site. Yeah. We can put in, you know, 5,000 tons a year of material and out of it, we get enough power to, to provide energy for 200 homes. That's crazy. We capture the methane. And then what else we get out of that is we get liquid fertilizer, probiotic plant food that we can market, sell. So w- what we want to do is keep the profitability of this green business proposition in-house. We, we, we also work with a lot of partners. So, okay, okay. so, you know, we put forward a proposal that got a lot of interest. Uh, I don't know if you remember the 
at the old Boston State Hospital in Mattapan, there was a parcel, a 10-acre parcel of land. And proposals went, you know, they made a request for proposals. And we brought our Green New Deal proposal to them, which consisted of Seto's anaerobic digester, which would process food waste um, and also provide excess heat that we would convert to heat greenhouses, 10,000 square feet of greenhouses, jobs for people, healthy food growing in the community. Using that food on site, we were working with City Fresh Foods. Yeah, yeah. They prepare good, healthy meals for 3,000 people a day. They were going to be co-located with us, right? So they get the greens out of the greenhouse, use them in, in, in good meals to feed people. What's left over gets composted with Seto again, and you've completed the food loop. Seto can heat the greenhouses and also provide fertilizer for the greenhouses as well as extra products for the community to buy. These are things I'd never thought would be possible. It's... Uh... It's, uh, I, I stay, uh, I'm always on Universal Hub seeing Boston News and like develop, I look at development and it's like 90% of the real estate. It's like, we don't need more condos that shoot way up into the sky. We're just stuffing people into areas. And I never questioned how things were configured. So growing up in Boston, everything is, you know, concrete. You know, there is green here, but it's, you know, where the residential areas are, you're just like, oh no, we just live here. And mm-hmm, then there's, mm-hmm. stuff, there's farms. That's like out there somewhere right and like we just eat whatever you're just so detached from right. how things used to be right but detached like, from your food yeah like we, it doesn't have to be that way we don't need concrete everywhere you can actually grow stuff and you know get rid of waste you can actually have control over that and i'm not i never i never saw that power or felt that and power. there's so many exciting possibilities i mean vertical farming you know these skyscrapers could be growing food yeah on the walls <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, there's places where that's happening, right? Um, I, I think I think it, it's a really excellent space in which you can be imaginative. But you know, you got to get the capital to to yeah, follow it. You, you got to get the investment, and you know, some of us believe that 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 investment is is waiting for places to be put. So, you know, we're part of shovel ready projects. You know, bring on that green economy. You know, put it. Not everything in Boston's wealth has to be about digital, Kendall Square, automated, laboratory. You know, there's a place for that stuff, but it's not all we need. You know, we need landscapers. We need permaculture. You know, we need hardscapes. We need ways of recovering our water better. And these are all jobs that, that we can build for the people of our community. Yeah, we need we need different types of nerds. I'm, I'm, I just type on a computer all the time. When I see these robots online, but like the ones that look like they're sentient, I'm like, well, they're pretty, they can do what I do. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I literally just work on the robot. That You're looking play. at your replacement. Yeah, I'm like, like, but like, I, I agree. We, we, yeah, it's, there's so much more than just like, yeah, Twitter's great. Apps are great. We, there can be more things done. And that stuff that you're going to need. Yeah. If things if if you if things didn't work the way they want supply chains and COVID exposed all that to me, so I'm like, yeah, we should have more trades. We should have more control over that. We shouldn't be buying every single thing from one guy in a cowboy hat who needed to go to space. Like, let's let's <laughs> spread it around a bit. Have people working. You can sustain. Cities can sustain if if it's. And I think a lot of that is going to be education. Yeah, Just like teach people this is yeah. possible. Yeah. Wow, this has been this has been awesome. This is a very, very enlightening conversation. I uh, 
This is a type of conversation that can go on for hours. Exactly. It's true. It's true. Wait for chapter two next time. So I'll, I'll, I, I will, I'll ask you this. How are things looking for you now in terms of environment and uh, from an environment point of view and also a worker point of view? Uh, I'll give, my, for example, my take. It's not looking good. <laughs> like 38, I'm like, because I'm aware. So I'm like, all right. I'm terrified. Let's get to work. But your experience and everything you've done passing years at Seto, and when you've been associated in the past, how do you see things? Now? How do you see us? To be honest, is rough. I mean, we're being impacted by all the small business issues, but probably more so because we're a small BIPOC business. Yeah. We're we're persistently undercapitalized, even though we're grateful to our lenders, including Ujima. But, you know, we don't have the money we need to build the capacity for the growth that we're already getting. So everybody's working too much, not getting paid the way we want to pay ourselves, not having enough benefits yet. It's always kind of like, yeah. we're going to get there. We're going to break even next year. We're going to be profitable in 23. We're going to be, and we are getting closer. But, you know, some of us, especially those of us who have been around for a while, like, Getting tired. Yeah. <laughs> Where, where's that reward? It's it's hard. It's hard to hang in, and it's hard. It's hard for our operations people who are out no matter what the weather is. You know, getting the job done, huh. working working overtime because there's not enough truck drivers to hire. It's you know it it feels like it's not fair. You know, and sometimes you know you just keep going because you know you got to get there and show how shiny it is on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know it. it I still believe in it. I still believe in the dream. I know we're taking the good steps. I know we've learned so much. We're really pros at what we do. And we're getting more influence with more influential customers, you know, and, and that track record is there. What we want to see is more of the reward hitting, hitting our workers, honestly. Well, that's, that's our cue. That's my cue. That is for us. Let's, let's, let's do that. I feel like. I should be helping, and people who care should be helping, and people who don't care should know why they should care, and go from there. But there should be the nice guys don't finish last. We should let's let's you know let's let's all pitch in on this. So I appreciate the transparency, and I will do what I can to support Seto. I appreciate you. I will. I will. I'm better on the destructive ends. Like if you want me to take out a competitor, like, <laughs> that's where I shine. You want to come over and clean out some <laughs> barrels? <laughs> Hang out at the warehouse with the power washer. I could do that too. I do. So I, 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 I hope to see those big rewards come sooner than later, so you can all thank you get them, get a nice break. Well, we got a place for your investment too. Those of you who are yeah. who are looking for places to put your dough, uh, us and Ujima can can help you figure that stuff out. Nice. I'm a Ujima member too, and I'm gonna I gotta put more in. There so, you go. Yeah. There you go. Well, thank you so much. I thank enjoyed you, this. Joe. This is awesome. Oh, wait. What are we doing? I didn't know. It's COVID, so I get confused. We'll do both. Everyone, thank you. Thank the Boston Ujima Project for allowing this to happen, setting this up. Uh, Moonlighters Club, again, we'll have plenty of different types of interviews, but this one's a pleasure. I, I love just talking about things that need to be talked about. So, Thanks, Joel. Laura, thank you again. Appreciate we'll see you. See you all next time. Bye now.